Hallelujah. Traylon, is it this? It's next Friday, right? Next Friday is the seventh. Traylon, we're going to have a great honor of being able to host Traylon's recording. And uh, there's just a couple of those tickets left, so go get a ticket. That'll help. Very, very expensive to do something like this. But uh, it'll go in a lot of places, and it'll be a great, uh, it'll be a great witness. And, uh, and uh, it's just fun, and it's nice to have someone of your own that's doing something like this. And so uh, we're honored to be able to support Draylon and his ministry. And uh, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Well, for some time, I have uh, reminded you of these verses. Isaiah 46 says, I am God. And there is none else. God, none like unto me, declaring the end from the beginning. I don't know how many times I've said it to you, but I'm going to say it to you again. That uh, if you want to understand the end, you have to be a student of the beginning. You have to be. And to back that up, it says in Corinthians 10, if you read Corinthians 10, it begins talking about Moses. And how he led the people out of Egypt and, and uh, through the Red Sea. He said, we were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And uh, this is, that's so the whole context of the thing. It's talking about Israel getting out of Egypt. But in verse 11, it says, everything that happened to them wasn't just for them. It was written for our admonition. So when you admonish somebody, that's, that's a very strong word. And another verse that, that mirrors that concept is uh, Romans 15 and 4 that said the things written aforetime or the things written in the Old Testament, it, it says were written for our learning, our learning. And I, I found this verse years ago and it was just one of them aha moments to me in study. And it was when Stephen was preaching chapter 7. And uh, in verse uh, 38 of Acts chapter 7, Stephen refers to Israel in the Old Testament as the church. Not Israel, but the church in the wilderness. And so there's just many, many, many places where what happened back then was supposed to teach us something. I found another one in study this week. This is Hebrews chapter 9. Now just look at the word Hebrew or Hebrews. What, it, what, is, what is the book of Hebrews? We, we're not exactly sure who wrote it. A lot of people think Paul wrote it, but we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But the book of Hebrews is written to Jews. That's what a Hebrew was, of course. And it is the last attempt to convince Jewish Christians that what they have in Jesus Christ is superior to what they had under the law of Moses. And that's why on multiple, I think it's 14, but on multiple occasions in the book of Hebrews, it keeps using the word better. We had a sacrifice back then, we got a better sacrifice now. We had an altar back then, we got a better altar now. On and on, things like that. And so um, it says in Hebrews 9 and verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. This is what it says in the Amplified, watch this. Seeing that that first or outer portion of the tabernacle was a parable, and then it says, a visible symbol or type or picture of the present age. That what, you know, you, you had the tabernacle of Moses, you had the outer court, you had the holy place, holy of holies. Goes into all that detail in, in Hebrews 9. But it, it, it's very clear here, uh, especially in the Amplified, that that outer portion was, was a picture of, of us right now. And uh, 
this, 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 this Ark of the Covenant, this, it was, was, you know, most famous piece of furniture in the history of the world. Um, I, uh, I, I get a kick out of uh, following barnyard finds and uh, um, I, uh, I saw a thing recently of a man that discovered a, uh, a Carroll Shelby Mustang in a barn and uh, big deal, just all dusty and all didn't look like much to the untrained eye, but it was worth a pile of money. And uh, um, they, 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 if you could find the Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> you could pretty much name your price, boy. Because uh, I don't know who would pay more for it, the Jews or, or, or the, the, the Muslims, so that they could break it up and get rid of it. But uh, um, that... Ark of the Covenant, it was a box, and it had a lid on it called the mercy seat, and it had a crown around it, a, a border that was on, on that lid, and then welded into that lid were two angels, and they looked down. I always thought that was important. They didn't look at one another. They're looking down at the mercy seat. And um, Again and again, especially in the Old Testament, he said, I am the God that dwelleth between the cherubims. And that's where, you know, it's not a word in the Bible. Shekinah is not in the Bible. That's a word that was created by rabbis years ago. But um, basically what it's talking about is that a visible manifestation of the presence of God, that when that priest would sprinkle that last splash of blood on that mercy seat, God, it, was, it, was, it was like negative and positive pole. God would incandesce. He would visibly manifest his presence as light in that place. And so um, this, this is what it says. In, in Leviticus 16 and 2, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he may come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. So this was their Emmanuel. If you remember Matthew chapter 1, you call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This, this was Old Testament Emmanuel, that he literally manifested his presence and they knew he was with them. And I, I, if, you're, if you've studied the Bible for any length of time, you know there were three things in the ark. What were they? Anybody remember? Aaron's rod. Manna. And the tablets. Second set of tablets. And... Uh, I, uh, um, I found this verse today. It's in Numbers chapter 17 and verse 8. It came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, brought forth buds, bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds overnight. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I, to some of you, you know this, but... Uh, when, when, when Jacob, uh, you know, as Esau said, uh, you know, when daddy dies, I'm going to kill you. And uh, we're not just going to dig one hole in the cemetery. We might as well dig two. And so uh, you won't be coming back in the hearse. And uh, mom got worried, so she bought him a bus ticket out of town. And, and, and uh, he, he's not some kid. I, I proved to you in one Bible class that he had to be at least 76 years old, at least. So he's not some little boy. And, and um, he, that's where he has that dream, you know, those angels going up and down and he wakes up and it says the name of that place was Luz, L-U-Z. He renamed it and uh, um, said, this is the house of God and the gate of heaven. And um, 
Um, but, but that word luz, if you study it, luz means an almond branch cut off. And so I, I knew there was some significance to it, but so I did my homework on that. Most wood has three component parts. You, you have the hard core, which is usually referred to as the pith, P-I-T-H. And then outside of the core uh, is something called cambium or what you would, some people would refer to as sapwood. And then, then there's the bark. The interesting thing about almond wood is it doesn't have any sapwood. It doesn't have any cambium. So it's just basically hard, pithy core and bark. So when almond wood dries out, it's considered the driest wood in the world. So it's not by chance that Aaron's rod was very spit, an almond branch. And this is a stick that has been in their family for years. But, uh, but they were trying to determine where, you know, who, who's going to serve in the temple. And, uh, and uh, they, they took that rod of Aaron and stuck it in there along with the rods of all the other, the other uh, tribes, the leaders of the tribes. And when they went the next morning, it said it budded. It said it brought forth buds, which I guess are the little ones. It's got blooms and flowers on it. And it's got almonds on it overnight. So that's a big deal that the driest wood in the world could just have all that life on it. And, um, but I found this first. So I, I knew, I, I, I always knew there were three things in there, but then I found this verse. It's in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 26. Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there for a witness. Here's what the message says. Take this book of Revelation and place it not in the chest, but alongside the chest of the covenant of God, which is, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, and keep it there as a witness. So this is what we would call a, a Torah, you know, first five books and... Uh, I've never been to a a celebration of a Torah. When a Jewish congregation builds a church, when they build a synagogue, they bring, it's called the dance of the book. And when they bring their Torah in to the congregation, the rabbis have it and they're dancing with it and the people dance behind it. It's a big deal. And these Torahs, if you've ever seen them, they're rolled up scrolls, very, very, very expensive. You can easily spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a real Torah. And uh, um, it's, you know, so you've got the ark and you've got the pot of manna and you've got the second set of tablets and you've got the rod of Aaron. But then it said, alongside of the ark, I want you to put this, this, one calls it the book of the law. I really like this. Take this book of Revelation. Um, be, because, because it's interesting that, 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 that it is called the book of Revelation. Because it is the law of God revealed by Moses. And, and so in 2 Kings chapter 22, you have the story of this young boy, eight years old. His name is Josiah, who becomes the king of Israel. And we, 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 it doesn't tell us how old he was, but he was obviously a very young man. And um, uh, he, he had a great desire to renovate the, 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 uh, the church house. And um, uh, it says, this, this is neat. Here's 2 Kings 22 and verse 8. And Hilkiah... The high priest said unto Shapham the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave it to Shaphan and he read it. So it's pretty obvious that this scroll, this book of the law, or what the message calls the book of Revelation, it had been lost. 
They still had the ark, but they lost the book that went beside of it. So its contents were forgotten and, and its warnings they, they weren't heeded. So here's 2 Kings, this is the next chapter. Here's 2 Kings 23, 2 and 3. And the king, this is Josiah, he went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priest and the prophets and all the people, small and great, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people stood to the covenant. So um, I guess I'm taking a little bit of license with the word here, but I, I think the principle is accurate. I, I, I really think it's very possible that this book of the law in the Old Testament is a prophetic picture of the real book of Revelation. And just as in Josiah's day, I personally think the book of Revelation has been lost to us. And it's been locked away and there are just a few special guys that can interpret it. And I think we need to rediscover it. I think we've lost it in the house of the Lord, and we don't, I don't preach from it very often. I sure don't teach from it very often, but uh, uh, I, I, it's pretty obvious that just as in those days, keeping the commands of that book of Revelation would safeguard you from very severe judgment. So um, it's very apparent when you study the ministry of Jesus there were three people that he kept very close to him, Peter, James, and John. And uh, like Moses, uh, uh, John, Moses is credited with five books of the Bible. John wrote five books of the Bible. You have John, and then you have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. And, uh, and just as the Bible begins with the writings of Moses... It is really possible that they end chronologically with the writings of John, because if history is, is, is accurate, John outlived all of the other 10, plus Paul, who was martyred. So meaning it's very possible all five of his books were written after the others were gone. And if that's the case, then it would mean that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses, and the last five books of the Bible were written by John. And the early church was persecuted by the Roman emperors, and none of them were more despicable than a guy named Domitian. He burned Christians alive. If you want to, if you've got a strong stomach, you, you, it's you're still very easy to get a hold of. You need to buy a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it will make, it'll soberly impact you. That's all I can say. These people were thrown to lions. They were wrapped in fresh animal skins and thrown to dogs that had been starved. And those dogs just ripped them to pieces. They were dipped in tar while they were alive, placed on poles, set on fire to, to basically light up the parties and the wild goings-ons that happened there. They were crucified and they were boiled in oil. And um, that's what doesn't say it in the Bible, but history says John was boiled. And um, unfortunately, he wouldn't boil. So if you can't boil him, they banished him to what I would call the Alcatraz of his day, a place called Patmos, 60 miles south of Ephesus. And um, Patmos was about 10 miles long and six miles wide. 
Yeah, it still exists, of course. It doesn't have any trees on it. It's very rocky. It's very barren. And just like then, today, it's filled with snakes, scorpions, and uh, lizards. And these prisoners were forced to do hard labor in the mines where they uh, uh, cut blocks of marble. And it's very obvious, John's an old man now. This is hard work for a young man. It's, I can't imagine how hard it is for an old man like that. He is cut off from all encouragement. He, he, uh, he, he has no support that we know of on that island. And yet, in the middle of this loneliness and in the middle of this suffering, he receives this amazing insight. And it's a powerful lesson uh, to anyone that may be listening to me, either in this room or by way of the internet, that there I may be talking to somebody right now that's enduring their own personal patmos. And you feel like you're alone. But maybe, just maybe, like John, he is isolating you for a season in order to reveal his glory through you. History says they tried to kill him again. They weren't successful. And as near as I can tell, he became an embarrassment to the, to the officers in charge. And they released him. I know that happened because in Revelation 1 and 9, he said, I, John, and then he said, was on the Isle of Patmos. I used to be there, but I'm not now. And, and, and this, this, I've heard people say revelations, but it's not revelations, it's revelation. And, and uh, it's the apocalypse. Greek word is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. And, and when you put all of this together, basically God is saying, I want you to read and study this book. And if you will, I'll draw aside the veil and I'll open up the curtain and I'll reveal myself to you. This is the only book in the Bible that specifically says, I'll give you a special blessing if you'll read it, hear it, and do what's written here. And, and this is one in three of Revelation. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. This is, this is a book obviously that was written to people who were suffering horrible persecution. If you read the book of Thessalonians, especially second Thessalonians, it's, it's a technical word, episunagego, the catching away. The, these people were convinced they had missed the coming of the Lord. And Paul was writing to them and said, I know you're having hard times, but you didn't miss his coming. And, and this is a book that was written to people that were suffering horrible persecution. It was written by a man who was suffering persecution. But that suffering obviously made it possible for him to receive this revelation. And, and it's written to Christians yet to come who will experience great distress above it all. This is a book of hope. And um, because from the beginning of the book, from the beginning of Revelation, this, it, this is what it says. But if you'll overcome, seven different times it said, if you'll overcome, and I think that's, that's really the whole message of this book, that if his people will become victorious overcomers, even in difficult times, uh, trust me, this is not a difficult time. You know, is it, is it a bother to wear a mask? Yes, it is but it's a real bother to be under a respirator in a hospital for weeks. That's real bother, you know? 9-11 uh, changed things. I, I haven't been on a plane for several months, but 
every plane I've ever been on since then, you know, you go through security precautions that you never went through before. That you, I used to always enjoy sitting in the front seat and I could look out through the window and watch the pilot land. It always amazed me how they don't just land like this, they land like this. If you've ever looked through the windshield of an airplane, it's pretty scary to be honest with you. And uh, um, that's changed. This thing that we're going now quite possibly is going to change some things. That they, they, they may never go back to the way they were. I don't know. But please don't say that this is a difficult time. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable. But this is not persecution. And, 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 and this is what it says. Not only in the beginning of Revelation. Here's the end of the book. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I'll be as God... You'll be my son. So the challenge is obvious. I don't care what we're dealing with it now. Let's get over it. Let's overcome it. Let's not let it defeat us. <laughs> and I, I guess you could really call Revelation a song of victory before the battle even begins. And, 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 and I, I gotta be honest with you, this is a book that's been fussed about and wrangled about for years. There are a group of people, they're technically known as a preterist. They believe everything in this book is historical. They believe everything in this book is about um, uh, the Roman Empire and all the bulls and all the seals, all that was judgment on the Roman Empire and the church is still alive and the Roman Empire is gone and see there, we're, they believe it's all historical. There's another group of people who believe it's all in the future. There's another group of people who believe it's just all pictures and it really doesn't have any real historical or practical application. Um, uh, I, I personally am convinced there are keys to understanding this book. I'm not gonna ever promote myself as a guy that got it all figured out, but I do believe that there are keys that I have and, and that many of you have and if you don't, I wanna encourage you to get them because to me, it's like coming to this great mansion and every room in this mansion is filled with great treasure. The only problem is every room's locked and you're gonna need a key to get into every one of the, you can have the stuff once you get in there, but you gotta have the key to get in the room. And, and, and I, I think this book is like that. So at the risk of frightening you, I will remind you that you're going to have to have a working knowledge of the other 65 books in the Bible. <laughs> you need to understand what the tabernacle of Moses was. Do you, do you know what that was? You, I, I, I have taught you for years. I sure hope at least you've got a, a basic understanding of the Feast of Jehovah that's in Leviticus 23. You, uh, you have to be a student of Genesis. I can't impress this upon you. I believe Genesis is a box of seeds. They are undeveloped themes and, and they are vines and threads that wind their way through the entire Bible. But they are given to us as seeds in Genesis and they are developed as you read the word. There, there are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. But out of these 404, 278 of them refer to something in the Old Testament. There are 348, 350 direct quotes from the Old Testament. So it's going to be difficult to understand Revelation without some kind of working knowledge of the Old Testament. And there are books that are very prominent. Exodus is a prominent book. Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah. Zechariah, Isaiah, these, these seven books, it's a, they're quoted again and again and again. And so if you have a good understanding, listen to me, if you have a good understanding of Genesis and Revelation, you'll have a really easy time with the other 64 books of the Bible. But the opposite is true. If you don't have a good working understanding of the first book and the last, some of them books in between there are going to be hard to understand. And I am convinced Satan hates the word in any form, but he really hates Genesis 
and he really hates Revelation. And, 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 and one shows his beginning and just takes all the, just reveals his aims and how much of a liar he is. And the other shows his end. <laughs> and and, and he, he, through it all, it's trying to teach us that we have the ability to overcome him through the name of Jesus. And so I think that's why Satan attacks Genesis and the story of creation so much. Uh, Revelation is, is just, wow. Both of these books are by far the most attacked books in the Bible, but we, what we would call the learned scholars of today. And, and not just Old Testament scriptures, but many of the teachings in Revelation come from the four gospels, the book of Acts, and the epistles. For instance, here's Matthew 24 and verse 3. He said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he's talked about wars, pestilence, earthquakes, persecution, tribulation, his second coming. All of this stuff is described in great detail in the last book. So what a miracle. Forty different writers writing over a period of 1,500 years wrote 65 books. And then John, writing under the same inspiration of that author, wrote the 66th book and used 350 quotes and types from the others and uh, with no contradictions. And the book unfolds as a harmonious whole. And I really don't have time to develop this. I, I wish we had time tonight, but... But you, you can study it on your own. I'll just give you the seed truth of it. The Bible, on many, many occasions, especially in Proverbs, talks about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. What is knowledge? Knowledge, 44 times I found it in the book of Proverbs. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. It's the accumulation of facts. Um, it says in Proverbs 24 and verse 5, a man of knowledge increases strength. And, um, um, but I will tell you this, there are a lot of educated derelicts sleeping under bridges. Just because people accumulate a lot of information in their lifetime, <clears throat> it's not the end. When I was a kid, they used to have this... Uh, this detective thing called Dragnet. And he said, hello, this is Sergeant Joe Friday. And he would always, every time, just the facts, man, just the facts. Well, let me tell you something. Just the facts aren't enough. If all you do is accumulate information and facts, that's knowledge, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is used 53 times in the book of Proverbs. It's when you apply that knowledge that you've accumulated. Wisdom eliminates stumbling in our lives. And it's, it's really about the way we live. And, and, and to take knowledge that you have acquired and apply it to situations and challenges and opportunities, that, that, that's wisdom. But there is a third quality known as understanding. 67 times in the book of Proverbs, the word understanding. And this is not about the accumulation of information. It's not about how, how uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, a uh, guy can pretty much do anything just because you're handy. What's, uh, <laughs> what's red green say? Just because the women find you handsome don't mean they can't find you handy. And uh, <laughs> understanding is about discernment. The Bible talks about to try the spirits. And, and, and you, to be able to interpret this stuff correctly. 
Bible said in Proverbs 16 and 22 that understanding is a wellspring of life. And this is the difference between uh, knowing and quoting the Bible and being able to understand what them scriptures are talking about. I, 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 I can't say they were a close friend, but I knew her many years ago. I'm not going to mention her name. Somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole, I knew a girl years ago who was national quiz champion, not once, but on multiple occasions. And uh, you just couldn't stump her. She was absolutely brilliant when it comes to Bible quizzing. But when she graduated from high school and wasn't qualified or she was too old to be involved in Bible quizzing, uh, she ended up getting pregnant and became an alcoholic. And uh, I, I don't know what happened to her after that. She had a head full of the Bible, but it never got in her heart. And, 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 and Job said, watch, Job said, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. Here's the Amplified. It says, there is a spirit of intelligence in man and the breath of the Almighty gives understanding. Have you ever met an educated fool? I have. Brilliant. Brilliant. But don't have enough sense to floss their teeth. You know? Just, just crazy. They know a lot of facts but they can't apply them, can't keep a job, don't know how to get along with people, much less seeing the hidden meaning in things. Because knowledge is, is the ability to see, I guess I'll call it sight. And wisdom is the ability to use that light to, to, to shine on your, it's foresight. But, 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 but knowledge is insight. And, and, and knowledge is a function of the body. It's your brain. Wisdom is a function of the soul. But understanding is a function of the spirit. And that's why it's so powerful. It's like Luke 1 and verse 3 where he said, I had perfect understanding from the beginning. That's a powerful statement. This is how you gain not just information, but insight into that information. I, for instance, I, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of this tonight. I, I, I have always wanted, I, I was always one of these interrogative guys. I, I used to drive my pastor crazy because I always asked why. Why? And, and it, it just, I, I got, I've got in a lot of trouble over the years asking why. Because a lot of times, if you ask why, you're branded as somebody with a bad spirit. And I wasn't. I just wanted to understand why are we doing this. You've heard this story. Most of you have. Some of you haven't. And so, for those of you that haven't, I'll tell it once again. Girl gets married. Going to cook a ham. Husband says, are you going to cut the ham in half? She goes, no, I wasn't. But... If you want me to cut it in half, I'll cut it. Why? Why do you want me to cut it in half? Because my mother always cut the ham in half. Went to her mother-in-law and said, Mother, why did you cut the ham in half? She said, because my mother always cut the ham in half. So trying to be a good wife, she goes to her husband's grandma, says, Granny, why did you cut the ham in half? And she just laughed and said, Honey, because I never had a pot big enough to hold a whole ham. And, 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 and it's, it's just purpose of our practice. You know, we've got to hand this thing off. And, and uh, I've been on the phone for hours since, since I was here Sunday. I mean hours. And I'm not saying it was a drudgery. It was, they were, there was a lot of wonderful things that have already happened between now and, and Sunday. And I thank God for it. But, but, but uh, uh, on, on several occasions in the last three days, I've been trying to deal with pastors 
who are getting into a season when it's time to hang up their spurs. And I've had calls from young men who want to do something for God and get frustrated because the old man won't let go of the steering wheel. And, uh, and, and trying to, uh, how do I say this? My dad, I, thank you for Sunday. I, I just, I, 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 I took all of your cards home and set my dad down and tried. I, 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 I just would, after a while, give it to Renee because I couldn't read it. I just, and he was worse. And I, multiple times he just got up and ran and got the box of Kleenex and pulled a bunch of them out of there. Magnificent cards. I, I, it was, I wish you could have been in my mom and dad's living room Sunday evening when I read all those cards to them. Precious, precious. A couple weeks ago, my dad was saying, you know, I wish I could have done more for God. And uh, he's not able to come to church faithful like he always did, and it's bothering him. He can't see very well, and uh, he can't hear real good. His memory's starting to, it's frail. And uh, he said, he's just crying, and he said, I wish I could have done more. And I said, well, I think you're underestimating what you did do, Daddy. And he said, uh, oh, I don't know, Harold. I said, well, do you know you got, you just gave Calvary Tabernacle a brand new pastor. Do you know that? And he said, what? I said, do you know the Bible school in Indianapolis, you just got him a brand new president? And he said, what are you talking about? My dad and mom went to a small town in Illinois called Clinton. It was just, we, I, I, I never want to talk negatively about my pastor. My pastor, and I hope I've conveyed this to you over the years. I had a righteous pastor. Uh, him and his wife, they, they, were, they were wonderful people. They really were godly, righteous people. But my pastor... He didn't pastor them. There were just people that came to the church that I went to that were just reprobates. <laughs> I mean it, reprobates. And, and I, I, you know, I just came back from Bible school and I had all the answers. And, and I just said, Brother Porter, you can't put up with these fools. And he said, oh, don't say that, Brother Harold. They have a soul. And I said, Brother Porter, you can't save Satan. You can't redeem the devil. These people are devils. And, and don't tell me people can't kill a preacher. I saw them kill my pastor. I, I, I saw him do it. And, and he died of a broken heart. It was a horror story. But, but my pastor was, was, was getting older. And, and I told my dad, I said, if you die today, I'm not preaching your funeral. You just taking for granted your preacher boy is going to preach your funeral. And I'm telling you, I'm not preaching your funeral. And he said, why? I said, because I will always believe you were supposed to do something else. And he said, well, what do you think I ought to do? I said, get out of here now. And he said, well, where am I going to go? I said, I know a group of people. Uh, I had a boy, a friend in Bible school named David Kudrain. And he ended up pastoring a little church in Illinois. And I was traveling, and he invited me there to speak. It was a nice group of people. And it wasn't a lot of them, but there was a good group of people. And, it, and, and all of a sudden, David went back to Texas. And, and these people asked me to come there and speak. And I did. And, and, and just tried to encourage them. They needed a pastor. I wasn't interested in pastoring there, but I was just trying to encourage that group of people. And so I told my dad, I said, I know a group of people that don't have a pastor. If I could set it up, would you go there and at least preach? And he said, okay. So I called a man named Bill Carson in, in, in Illinois. And I said, Brother Carson, do you still need a pastor? Yes, sir, we do. I said, would, would you consider just allowing my father to come there and speak? He's a good man and he's a good leader. He's good with money. I think he could help you. And he said, absolutely, send him out here. I told my dad that. We went that Sunday, or he went. I didn't go. I was somewhere else. 
He preached one time, and if I remember my story right, Brother Carson, who was kind of the bell sheep of that church, he said, I make a motion that we suspend Robert's Rules of Order and have a vote right now. And someone seconded it. They did it. They voted it. Daddy got all the votes. Boom. It was like tennis. Game, set, match, done. He was pastor. Boom. One day. He called me. He said, you ain't never going to believe this. I said, you're the pastor, huh? I said, yep. I said, well, we got to go get rid of that house. He said, well, let's go. So we went back to where we lived. And uh, they said, you're never going to sell that house. Daddy being daddy made his own sign, got some paint out in the garage, got an old license plate, turned it around backwards, said for sale by owner, drove it in the front yard before he could get in the house. The neighbor, Mr. Sims, walked across the road and said, I'd like to buy your house, Harry. And he said, well, I don't even know how much I'm gonna sell for. He said, I don't care, I know you'll be fair. I know it'll be a good deal, it's a good house. I'd like to buy your house for my sister. So my dad said, you know, how much should we sell it for? I said, well, how about 25,000? He said, that sounds fair to me. We went to Richard Sims. He said, 25 sounds good to me. I have the money for you tomorrow. Bam, house sold. We got up a rider truck, loaded him up and in one week. He became pastor, we sold the house and he was in Illinois, boom. And they're, 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 the Carsons were a dominant family there in that church, but they had a brother named John. He had a wife. And, 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 and they, uh, they, daddy, mommy loved on them and just, just, just encouraged them. They started being faithful to church, came back around the altar. God renewed them. And, uh, all of a sudden she said, I, I'm, I'm going to have a baby and had this little toe headed boy. They called him Joshua and, uh, just a special little kid, man. I could tell you great stories, but I don't have time. But that kid married the granddaughter of Sister Sternerman. And he became our national youth president and was the over, over the largest gathering of young people in the history of the United Pentecostal Church. That last youth congress, it, it was in excess of 40,000. I'm not, I'm not going to, it was more than that, but it's an amazing meeting. And so, Brother Mooney, it was time for him to retire. Sister Mooney was very, very sick. And she, you know, she died just a couple weeks ago. Brother Mooney retired. And the, the, my friend, Brother Mitchell, became the superintendent of Indiana. And according to the bylaws of the church, when the man, when the pastor resigns, superintendent becomes the pastor. So my friend, Dan Mitchell, became the pastor of Calvary Tabernacle for a couple weeks. <laughs> And he took the board and they, he said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go fast for at least a week, come back together. They fasted for 10 days. All eight of them went away, fasted for 10 days, came back. And to a man, they had a silent, they put it in a box. Every one of them came back and said, we want Josh Carson to be our pastor. And that, that little boy that my mom and dad loved on back then is now the pastor of Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis and the president of the Bible school. And I told my dad, I said, they wouldn't have had a pastor if you and mother hadn't gone to Illinois. I wouldn't have, and he said, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you just, you, 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 you never know, you know? And so I, 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 I guess I'm, I'm going the long way home to tell you this story because, you know, Vince Lombardi, who was the coach of the Green Bay Packers for many years, he had a saying, it's my way or the highway. And that's how men used to pastor. I'm the boss. You're the applesauce. I say it, you do it or else. And you don't ask why. So here comes Harold along asking why. <laughs> and I got in bunches of trouble. I got in trouble two days ago for asking why. And I, I'm still going to keep asking it because it's a really nice question. Why are we doing this? Why do we dress modest? Why do we have this stance on hair? 
Why do we have this stance on gender distinction? Why do we believe in divine healing? Why do we believe in corporate worship? Why are we doing this? To too many people, we're just cutting the ham in half because somebody else did it. That's not a good enough reason. I wanna know why are we doing this? Why, is there a reason or is it just tradition? Now all tradition isn't bad. There's no place in the Bible that says brush your teeth every day. I highly recommend it. No place in the Bible said wear deodorant. I highly recommend it, you know? It's a tradition. All traditions aren't of the devil. There are some things we do, they're good, but I, I'm not gonna tell you they're gonna get you into heaven. <laughs> and so you, 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 you need understanding. Why are we doing this? You just can't come to church and go, you know, and then go out and live like the devil. You know, that's no understanding. You know, just replicating, just being whatever it is you're surrounded by. You can't do that way. And so, for, for instance, ah, well, one of the great controversies in the word is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I, 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 the problem comes when these things are not approached through the aspect of knowledge and insight. Um, you you got to have revelation to be able to see that. I, I tell all people all the time, I'm a Trinitarian. You are? Yeah, I believe in three. But three what? I don't believe there's three separate persons. But I believe that one God can do these three things. He can do much more than that. But, but I believe that God created the world. I believe that same God took on flesh and redeemed us with his blood. I believe that same God lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I, 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 I see that, that's as plain to me as can be, that, that he was our creator, he took on flesh, became our redeemer, now that same God lives in us and gives us power to be an overcomer. And, and look at the word. Okay. Oh man, uh, there's, I'll never finish this in six weeks, I'm just telling you right now, but let's take the word weak. Okay, the word W-E-E-K, it's used many times in the Bible. The, the, the Hebrew word is Shabua. It means seven, but it doesn't always mean seven days. It just means seven. And there's lots of weeks in the Bible. And, and uh, let, me, let me give you a principle. Here's 2 Peter 3 and 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. It said seven times in the Bible, it said, don't be ignorant. And this is a big deal here. This is not a suggestion. It's a command. I want you to understand something about my day. That to me, a thousand years can be as a day and a day can be as a thousand years. It's a quote from Psalms 90 and verse four. This is what it says. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it's past. I, I can show you in the Bible, there's something called the day of Pentecost. There's something called the day of atonement. The Bible talks about the day of salvation, a day of judgment. There's a day of his return. Consider this, if you will. Just, just consider this, okay? Uh, to some, I'm a heretic when I talk about it, but just consider it, all right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I personally find it hard to believe that God created something incomplete and imperfect. So now watch verse two. And the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. Something, I think something dramatic happened between one and two between one and one and one, between the first verse in the Bible and the second. I think it's highly possible something spoiled it. And here's why. This is Isaiah 45 and verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Listen to the Amplified. 
For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, God himself who formed the earth and made it, who established it and did not create it to be a worthless waste. But it says in verse 2, there was waste and there was darkness. Absolutely not. And I'll tell you why. This is 1 John 1 and 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When God makes something, there's no darkness in it. So, I think it's more than possible that this is when Satan was cast down. This is what it says in Jeremiah 4. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and hills moved lightly. I beheld, and there was no man. And all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness. Cities were broken down. Thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate. There, I found something very interesting in the Hebrew language. And again, just consider it, okay? This is not a point of salvation, just something to think about. In, John, in Genesis 1 and 2, it said, and the earth was. The earth was without form and void. That's a Hebrew word, which the best way I could transliterate it into English is hate, H-A-Y-T, if I phonetically spelled it. I found something fascinating this week that I never saw. The same word that is translated was in Genesis 1 and 2 is the very same word In Genesis 2 and 7, it says, and man became a living soul. It is possible to say that just as man became a living soul, the earth became without form and void, and there was darkness. I'm saying to you that it is very possible that the creation story that we read in Genesis 2 through 31 is not necessarily a creation story, but it's a recreation story. And it's a possible explanation for the old argument about where did dinosaurs come from. It is very possible that man is relatively young, but this earth is very old. And, and it's possible that the first creation was destroyed by the falling of Lucifer. Look, look, think of this. Just again, I'm talking about knowledge, revelation, insight. Look at the first 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. When God was a father to many nations and he, as a father, made all these covenants with men. Then look at the second 2,000 years which begins with Abraham offering a son. And it ends with the offering of another son. And just as Abraham offered his son, and Hebrew said from whence he received him in a figure. In other words, that first son was saved by a substitutionary sacrifice. Then that last son saved our lives by becoming our substitution on the cross. Now look at the third season of 2,000 years. It begins with the outpouring of the Spirit, and it ends with a harvest that said, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former. Do you see what I'm trying to show you? That the first 2,000 years he was a father, And the second, he was a substitutionary son. And the third was about the ministry of his spirit. Because the Bible said there are three witnesses in the earth. Water, blood, spirit. God, in that 
early 2000, study 2000, the first 2000 years, you study, it starts with the waters coming out of Eden and you've got the, the, the flood waters, then study the next 2000 years and just find out how important blood and sacrifice was and then study the next 2000 years and see how important the baptism of the spirit was. That it's there, water, blood, spirit, okay? Watch, Hebrews 6 and 1. Get, get, get the knowledge here. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Watch, and of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, not singular, and the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. It's not saying forget those things. It's saying have those things established in your life and now go on to something else. You shouldn't have to lay faith's foundation again. Shouldn't have to teach you about laying on of hands again. So there's this, th those things should be established. Those questions should be settled. Now let's go on to something deeper. But one of the things it says here is we should understand the doctrine of baptisms. I, look at the earth. The earth in the word is gonna have three global baptisms. The first baptism was the flood of Noah, a flood of water that covered the earth. The second baptism is the day of Pentecost. Now God is omnipresent, but I taught you, there is the omnipresence of God and there's the manifest presence of God. It's not the same, but on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't just his presence, it was the manifestation of his presence around the world. Okay, so the second global baptism is spirit. But when you read the book of Peter and prophecy, it said this world is gonna be renovated by fire. So you got three baptisms. You got water, you got spirit, you got fire. I'll show you why that's powerful. Here's Matthew 20. I think it's Matthew 20 and 20. Talk about 2020 blindness. Here's 2020 blindness. This is not perfect vision, this is blindness. The mother, uh, Zebedee, you know, this, this, this is James and John, mom comes to Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 20, worshiping him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, by the way, worshiping him, desiring of him a certain thing. <laughs> I see people do that all the time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, by the way, I got my list here somewhere. Before I leave, could you take care of these nine things? You know? She says, when you get into power, would you make sure John sits on the right and James sits on the left? So can you imagine how the other, other, other apostles felt? Are you kidding me, Doc? You sent mom to the boss? Really? And she's not batting an eye, dude. She's, 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 Trying, she's, she's bartering for her boys. I want one of my boys in your right hand. I want one of your ones. Now, you other heathens, you can sit anywhere you want, but my boys are going to be right and left. So what does Jesus ask her? He said, are they able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? You know what she said? Oh, of course. Well, let me explain to you what it says in the book of Corinthians. It says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's works of what sort it is. If any man's works abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Did you get the knowledge? Did you get the revelation? You just aren't always gonna come to church and your goosebump machine is gonna be working great and you're gonna go, there is a baptism of water, there is a baptism of spirit, and there's a baptism of fire. Are we able to be baptized with the baptism that he is baptized with? I was going to preach it Sunday, but God will give me something else. 
Everything that can be shaken will be shaken in order that that which cannot be shaken may remain. Listen to me very carefully. If there's anything that can be shaken in your life, it's going to shake right now. This is, this, this is going to sift it out right here. In other words, if you can get bitter, you're going to get bitter now. If you're going to get carnal, you're going to get carnal now. If you're going to get a bad attitude, you're going to get it now. Because everything that possibly can shake is going to shake. So you got to make sure it's tightened down really hard right now. And you got to make sure you're on the rock that's not going to shake and rattle and roll. All right? Remember Elvis? Number 37 said to number three, you're the cutest jailbird I ever did see. Come on and do the jailhouse rock with me. Let's rock. <laughs> Listen, folks, the real jailhouse rock was in Acts 16. When Peter and that, or Paul and Silas began to sing, whole place shook. I love this. Everybody's doors were opened. Not just Paul and Silas. Every crook, every con, every thief, every, every door got open. Guess what? Nobody left. Why? Because if you've ever been around an earthquake, I've been in three earthquakes in my life. Now, it never happened in the building I was in, but it happened in several buildings around me. Let me tell you, what ha- what's the first thing that goes in an earthquake? The roof. Roof comes down, walls come in. Guess what? Earthquake, everything's shaking, except nothing falls in. This is what I think's going on. I think them crooks and cons had enough sense to see. I think I'll take my chances with the preachers. Because I ought to be dead right now. And this old house is still standing. And so it teaches us something. There are two kinds of people in prison there. you got bound people who don't know the Lord. And you have bound people who do know the Lord. 